So it's a joy to see you, and uh, what a privilege to be able to open up God's Word together, to worship like this together. Well done, church. Well done. You didn't let this, like, get us down, but we actually raised our voices even louder. Isn't that the, the way of Jesus, you know, that uh, when, when circumstances are down, we raise our voices even louder. So what a joy, and well done. So we are continuing in the book of Philippians. It's been an amazing book. I hope you've enjoyed the series. I've certainly loved it. If you've missed any, you can go into our webpage and um, continue. So I'll just bring some context to the passage I'm going to be in. And uh, Paul's in prison. He's busy writing from uh, perhaps under house arrest in Rome, is what the, the scholars say, probably chained to a Roman guard. And, uh, and we'll see from this passage, he's got at least Timothy and Epaphroditus there with him. He's got two friends in the gospel, two friends in the, in the, in the journey of spreading the gospel out, even in prison. And um, he's busy writing to this church in Philippi, which he planted, um, probably they say about eight to 10, maybe to 15 years prior to this. Um, and it's about 800 kilometers from where he is now, about a six-week journey from where he is. Um, and he's writing to them um, just to encourage them to say thank you. Is it okay? Can I... Can you hear? Speak up. Should I carry on? I I'm happy to preach without it, so... All good. Steve, go to the back. Okay. So we're all about uh, democracy here. <laughs> Not really, theocracy. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the, that's the context. Paul's busy writing to this beautiful church which he planted. And uh, he's got Timothy there who would have been there for the church plant. Actually, he would have been invited onto the second missionary journey, and he would know this church, which is important for when we get to the text. And he's writing to encourage them to humility and to unity. That's the context in this passage. He's writing to actually, would you see the humility of Christ? And I'll read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And, and this is Paul's encouragement to the church from the, the chapter 2. Therefore, if any of you, or if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, unity, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other, others. So that's what Paul's encouraging the church in here, is unity and humility. And then he goes on and he gives examples, the ultimate example being Jesus, which Francois preached about so well, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then if that um, doesn't set the bar high enough, then he goes, Paul there as well, up, up there with Paul, and he goes, um, but even if I, Paul is busy speaking in verse 17, and being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. So, so Paul gives these two examples of humility. Ultimate one, Jesus. There, Paul wanting to imitate Christ, and he says, come and follow me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you hear Jesus and you think, son of God, he's got some superpowers that makes it almost impossible for me to be like that. Paul these divine revelations of Jesus, 
these uh, moments where he, he's, he's struck off of his horse. I mean, I don't know if I can be like Paul. So what does Paul do? He gives two further examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why? Because humility is attainable for all of us. That's what he's wanting. That's the whole point of this passage is that, that all of us can become like Christ. And as, as Paul spoke, I mean, as Tula spoke about so well last week, the, the, the purpose of discipleship, the goal of discipleship is to become like Christ. From past, present, and into future is to be like Jesus. And Paul writes about Timothy and Epaphroditus to further show that these guys have done it. They've lived a, hu- a humble, sacrificial, serving life. And they are no superheroes. They are normal people like you and I. Paul, Jew of Jews, which we will see um, in chapter 3, he speaks about all of his sort of um, accolades. Ooh, hello. Um, all of his accolades. And then um, he, he then speaks about Timothy. And Timothy is half Jewish, half Gentile. So his mom was a Jew. His dad was a Greek. So he's sort of, you could say, a mixed race. Or he may even have felt like a little bit of a mixed breed. Where do I fit in? Do I fit in here? Do I fit in here? Um, he might have been a little bit unsure about that. Then to Epaphroditus, who was? A Gentile, completely outside of the promises of God. But here, present in the story and being very effective in the kingdom of God. So what Paul's doing is inviting all of us into the story. Whether you're a thoroughbred Christian from a great family that's, been, that, that's raised you up from young in the ways of God, praise God for that. You're invited into the story. You may feel like you're sort of half in, half out, not quite sure where you fit in. You're invited into the story. You may feel like you're very far from God. You're invited into the story and into this journey of humility and service as Christ was. So let's get into the text. Um, if you've got your Bibles, Philippians 2, 2, 2, chapter 19. No, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Oh, my hat. Okay, you got it. You all there? Are you with me? Okay, you can feel free to give me an amen, wave a hand, anything like that if you are um, resonating with the text. So, our hope, Paul speaks about our hope. Let me read from my Bible because I've got notes all over there. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show a genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Paul is wanting to encourage the church. He's saying he's wanting to send Timothy to them. He hopes to be able to do that. He's not quite sure what the circumstances will allow for. Um, It's not like this casual, I hope, maybe, maybe not. But what he's doing is he's submitting all of his plans to the sovereign rule and reign of God and his will. There's this, I hope, in Christ to be able to send him to you soon, depending on what God's hand allows for, which I love. I love Paul's um, um, disposition before the Father. I don't make my own plans, but I submit everything that I do before the Father and his sovereign will. You see James speaking about it as well. Um, today I'll do this or today I'll do that. No, we don't, we don't do, know exactly what we'll do, but we submit everything to the will of the Father. And right here, Paul is submitting all of his plans to the will of his Father. And he says, I hope to send Timothy to you. So Timothy's an amazing guy. I love him. Um, 
He's first introduced to us in the scriptures in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Um, you'll, you'll hear about him um, coming into the party, but it's more than likely that he got saved in Acts chapter 14 on Paul's first missionary journey. So on Paul's first missionary journey, he went up to Lystra and Derby and Iconium, and they preached the gospel, and um, churches were planted. That's where the book of Galatians comes from. He writes to the Galatians there. Um, and then Paul, um, um, more than likely, his whole family got saved because it speaks about his mom and his, his um, gran actually growing up and um, teaching Timothy the ways of God, which means they probably got saved first. Timothy then got saved. There was an incubation period where he, he developed and grew in this church. By the time Paul came through on his second missionary journey, they all spoke well of Timothy. Beautiful. He grew up in the faith. Wow. I thought of something exciting was going to happen. I just thought, let's just wait and see. <laughs> um, so Timothy was, had grown up in the faith. All the believers had spoken well of him. And, they, and Paul said, well, Timothy, you're going to come with me. Then Paul takes Timothy, becomes a part of the apostolic team. He now moves with um, Paul into, into a second missionary journey where um, the, the church at Philippi is planted. This, this church that we're busy reading about now. And then um, Timothy journeys with him. And then all through Corinthians, Thessalonians, you see Timothy's name popping up. He becomes vital to Paul's ministry and to the kingdom of God advancing across the globe to us here now today. Timothy, Greek mom, sorry, Jewish mom, Greek dad. Um, what can we learn from him? Paul says, I have no one else like him. Love that word. I have no one else like him. And that word like him is a Greek word, which I'm not even going to try and say, but, but it means same soul. It actually means that they are of one soul. I have no one else who so has caught my heart, so has caught who I am and, and what I desire and the things that I long for. I have no one else same soul as Timothy that I'm able to send in my place, which means I may not be able to get to you, but by me sending Timothy, it'll be like sending myself because he's so caught my heart of one soul, heart or mind. And I love 2 Timothy 3 verse 10. It says, you, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things have happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And he says, in fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. What do we learn from this? I, I love that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a oneness to their walk in Christ. There's a, there's a same soulness to that. And, and the encouragement for us, I think, as a church is, is Timothy obviously saw a pursuit of Christ in Paul. He saw that. And what did he do? He gave himself to that man to this person, to this relationship, because he so saw his pursuits of Christ that he desired Christ and he linked up with him and partnered with him in the gospel. Why do, I, why do I mention that? Because Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Why don't you find somebody who's passionately pursuing Jesus and link yourself up with them and partner with them in the gospel so that you catch their soul and are able to give it to somebody else? Beautiful picture of discipleship. Actually, Paul, Paul had Christ's humility. Paul wants to pass down Christ's humility to Timothy. Timothy desires Christ and, and links up with Paul and partners with him and becomes literally the same soul is what, what they're speaking about. I think that's a beautiful quality of him. Two, he will show genuine concern um, for you, for the church. And, um, and then he says, actually, because nobody else 
Let me read it again. It says, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That's a serious statement. You know, you wonder, is Paul talking about everybody in the whole world? Is he talking about all Christians? Or is he talking about everybody in his team? It seems to be that there was nobody else that he could send because everybody else was so busy looking out for their own interests. So I don't think that it means everybody in his team because he just speaks about Epaphroditus, who's somebody like him. But what it means is, is, is some people can be so consumed, even Christians, by their own interests they can, that they can um, make themselves unavailable to the work of God. You can be so consumed with your own interests that you can be unavailable or, in a sense, not useful for the kingdom and his advancement and God's kingdom's advancement. Does that make sense? Which is tough to hear, but and I, I'm here. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time on this here because we are inherently selfish. I mean, we are inherently self-centered. You don't have to try hard. It's natural. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unnatural to be selfless. It's natural to be selfish. And, and often if you, if you think about all of your thoughts and your life being displayed on a TV screen, what, what is playing there the whole time? Is it your world? Is it your life? Is it your worries? Is it your concerns? Is it your family? Is it your finances? What is it in that TV screen of your thoughts that's continuing to play? Oftentimes it's our own world. But what Paul's saying is that Timothy's world is so consumed by that of Jesus Christ that in a sense he's forgotten himself. Beautiful. He's forgotten himself and the, the screen that's playing before him is that of others and his desire for the church. He longs for this church. He, he genuinely is concerned about this church, which means that he's, he's thoughtful about this church. He probably longs for them and prays for them and, and, and wants to be with them. And you can tell when somebody's genuinely concerned about you or not. You really can, you know, and, and Paul's saying, actually, one of the, the beautiful things about Timothy is that he's genuinely concerned about Jesus' bride. He's genuinely concerned about the church, and the church is made up of people, and he, and he, and he genuinely longs to be with them. It's impossible for us to, um, in a sense, break out of ourselves until we break into Christ. You know, It's impossible. I mean, you can try all your might and you can think about somebody and then you drop. But actually, and I'll speak about it later, but until Christ comes alive in you, you can't, you can't genuinely live a selfless life. And what we need is Jesus in us. What we need is his heart in us to be living through us and us to die to ourselves. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And his, his desires, his thoughts, his heart becomes my heart, my thoughts, um, and my desires. I think humility and faithfulness, and which is what Timothy was. He was, he was humble and he was faithful. Humility means that you, you don't, you think of yourself, you don't even, what is, it's not that you think less of yourself, it's that you think of yourself less. And, and, and Timothy is so consumed about Jesus' church that it actually leads to fruitfulness leads to fruitfulness, and humility leads to fruitfulness, and selfishness, I think, actually leads to God closing doors rather than opening them. And we see here in the parable of the sower, it says, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked up the plants. So there were different seeds that landed on different um, um, soils, but this one landed among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And then Jesus gives a description. The seed falling among the thorns refers to somebody who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the worries of this life, 
and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. God desires to be fruitful through us. He actually desires that, but, um, but us living a self-centered life, a, a, a life that's, that's worried about this world only leads to unfruitfulness. Does that make sense? Okay, so first two. So he is like-minded with Paul, same soul. Second, he shows a genuine concern for, for um, the interests of the church. Three, he's proved himself. He's been through a time of testing. And this word proved means it's testing through suffering. So if anybody's read anything about Paul, they would know that his life was not easy. I'll just read one passage of what one of the descriptions of the life of Paul looks like. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which means to the point of death minus one lash. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who wants to apply for that position? I mean, that's real. That's very real. And, and it says that Timothy journeyed with Paul, which means that he would have experienced some of this stuff. Whether all of it, I'm not sure, but certainly some of it. And he has proved himself. So, so a time of testing in suffering actually refines our faith and, and, and shows whether our faith is real. That's what he's saying here. And, and Timothy has proved himself, and that therefore I'm able to send him to you because he's been through a time of testing. He's been through suffering. He's walked through it well, and he's come out of the other side and truly desires the things of God. It's amazing. That incubation period between the first time that, um, that Paul went through to, to uh, Galatia and the time that he came back again was a, a massively important time, I imagine, in the life of Timothy. That would have been like this for us here. The incubation period of our faith. Sometimes, sometimes we, we're not sure why we're here, what we're doing. Um, we're not quite sure why God's taking us through what's, what's seemingly a random um, time, perhaps random difficulties. But it's God busy preparing us for the next stage of our journey. He's taking us through a, a, a development stage in a local community, in a local church that's preparing us for, for more things of God because God doesn't want us to remain in one place. He wants us to mature and to grow and to become useful and effective in seeing the kingdom of God advance. And he does that through the local church community, which is here and now. And the time that you spend here is vitally important for that journey that you have to walk on. But you can waste it. You can waste it. You can think that it's, it's a waste and I'm not feeling like I'm doing anything or why is God taking me through a hard time? Or perhaps you've gone through a hard time and fallen away and I'm glad you're here again. But, but if you have, come back again and let God take you through the testing so that he can prove in a sense and test the faith that's inside of you so that when you get to the true testing, you won't fall. Because the true test will come. The, 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 the kingdom of God is... The most beautiful and most difficult thing you will ever do. And true following of Jesus is challenging. Ask anybody in this room that really follows Jesus. It's not easy. 
It's not a walk in the park. It's not this prosperity gospel that, that's portrayed across the globe. It's a, that's a lot of nonsense. It's actually, but it's a, it's a, it does give incredible blessing, but it takes you through incredible difficulty. And we'll see some of that. I mean, even Timothy's already seen some of that. And that time of testing is important, guys. And be careful. We, we, we never want to go beyond where God wants us to be. What do I mean by that? Paul says to Timothy, let somebody go through a time of testing before they're given a, a, an office in the church because sometimes what can happen is your roots will go out further than your, sorry, your branches will go out further than your roots go deep and you land up falling over when the time of testing comes. Let your, let your branches and your roots grow at the same time so that you, you will stand firm and be effective as God gives you greater influence into the kingdom of God. Because as a son with a father, I love that, discipleship involves close relationships that lead to us being transformed into Christ. Discipleship involves close relationships, father-son, mother-daughter, brother-sister, that transform us into the likeness of Christ. And I've spoken about that already, so I'm not going to spend time there. But, but learn, learn to walk well with those who are leading you. Because, because there's a blessing that is in store for you. Those who honor their father and their mother, it'll go well for you in the land. That's both physically, but spiritually as well. Those who lead you and those who you lead, actually you can open up beautiful doors for your, your spiritual sons to be able to walk into. And sons, you can, you can walk into massive fields. And when I say sons, I mean daughters, sons and daughters. As you, as you learn to serve with your fathers and mothers, I don't wanna overcook this because you can, but, but it is a beautiful principle. Learn to honor and walk well and serve, and God will open up doors for you. And you see that in Timothy's life. As he, as he serves with Paul as a father, God opens up doors for him to be able to have greater influence because he can trust him, because he knows how to live under authority, which means that actually he lives under the authority of God. He understands the authority of God. He understands um, a father, the father heart of God's sonship. Father, Jesus, Paul, Timothy. Timothy will one day be a father again. And there's this beautiful order of God and authority of God that opens up doors for, for, for big inheritances for us to be able to walk into. Because it says it'll go well for you in the land. Amen. Amen. Fifth point, served with me in the work of the gospel. I love Paul's, Timothy's not serving Paul. He's serving with me in the work of the gospel. The gospel is our ultimate end, seeing the gospel go forward. Seeing the kingdom of God advance through the preaching of the gospel, through the, through the application of the gospel into our lives, through the transformation of the gospel, through seeing churches planted in every community across the globe so that Jesus would become present and known and famous and people would be transformed and changed into his likeness. It's the work of the gospel. That's Paul's and then Timothy's ultimate goal, not serving each other, but serving with each other and seeing the gospel advance. Because sometimes we can get that a little bit confused. We think we're serving one another, and we are, but it's so that the gospel can advance. And the gospel and the kingdom advances when the preaching of the, the word goes out and Jesus' communities are established. And that's Paul's heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Probably the hardest prayer to pray. Because we're so our own kingdom and our own will. But actually, Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your kingdom advance? Would your will be done? Would I, would I get off of my throne? Would I give you, the, firstly, in my own heart, full 
full um, uh, rule over my own heart? And then would I be able to preach so effectively that others see the wonder of who you are and submit their heart to your rule and your reign? That's the kingdom of God advancement, one heart at a time. Amen. Timothy, good man. Five points. Epaphroditus. So Timothy's quite a numzan. Epaphroditus, I I, I really like him. He's only mentioned twice in the whole Bible, and both times on Philippians, one in chapter 2, one in chapter 4. Sometimes God's most effective servants are are, are mentioned very little. Only twice he's mentioned in the entire scriptures. We wouldn't have the book of Philippians now if it wasn't for Epaphroditus. He was the guy who Paul gave the letter to and told him to go back to the church of Philippians and give it to them. And and by, by his obedience of first going to Timothy and then going back to Philippi, we have the book of Philippians today. An important man only mentioned twice. And you, you know, like, God says the, 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 the body parts that have the least, in a sense, role should get the most honor. And Paul does it with Epaphroditus here. He gives him an, an incredible amount of honor, even though he's really quite a small um, player in, in, in the Bible as a whole. So, verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you as a, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Sorry, let me read from here. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him to you, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Amazing, Paul carries things, eh? So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for your help as you yourselves could not give me. Okay, let's go through Epaphroditus. The Gentile, uh, just a small note here. You know, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. For Paul to even be associated with a Gentile is a miracle in itself. There was, there was such racism from the, the Jewish people between the Jews and the Gentiles, and then even between the Greeks and everybody else, and between the Romans and everybody else. Everybody thought they were the, the race to be, um, to be reckoned with, and everybody outside of that category was subordinate. But here, Paul, Jew of Jews, says to Epaphroditus, Gentile of Gentiles, my brother. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel has, has the ability to break down every wall of hostility across every dividing line that we are, as, as humans love to make. He says, my brother, which is family language, which means when we get saved, we come into a family. He says, brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. Beautiful description of a Christian. Not one or, all three. Family of God first. We are born into a new family. This is my family. Yeah. This is my family. I'm, I'm, I'm washed by the blood of Christ, and so are you. And Jesus says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? It is he who does the will of my father, the true family of God. And oftentimes when you get saved into um, the family of God and you maybe go home to your family and you say, hey, guys, I got saved, and they all not believers are like, well, what's wrong with you and why? You don't, you don't get this like full backing, you know, like actually they're like, well, that's not good. And sometimes even to the extreme of being completely ostracized, 
when you give your life to Christ, but you get born into the true family of God. And you can fully give yourself to this family. Because Paul, Paul says of Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker. So, so family, laborer. The kingdom requires work. I love Epaphroditus. He leaves his city, voluntarily is sent by the church to Timothy, I mean to Paul, 800 kilometers away into a Roman city to go and literally minister to his needs. Literally to go and serve Paul and whatever Paul needs. That's what he's been sent for. An amazing man. He, he, hasn't just, he hasn't just spectated. Dan's going to speak about it tonight. He hasn't just gone there and said, hey, you're doing great, Paul. He's literally ministered to, to, to Paul's needs. He's gone and he's got his back stuck into it. He's left his city. He's probably, we don't know if he's married or not married. We don't know anything about him. But he has really given himself to go and labor to see the kingdom of God advance. And the kingdom and the, um, being a part of the, the family of God requires us to work together co-laboring to see the kingdom of God advance. So family working together for a set goal, which is the gospel to advance. And thirdly, fellow soldiers. Fellow soldiers, which means that we're in a war. We're in a war. And there's some guys that I would love to go to war with, and ladies, and there's others that I probably wouldn't. (laughs) Are you somebody that we can go to war together with? Uh, My wife, I don't know why I was thinking about her this morning, Oh, you know, whenever you're preaching or doing something significant, wherever it may be, maybe in your workspace, you've got a big meeting coming up, and it's a kingdom meeting, wherever you find yourself. It's amazing how the enemy comes at those times. It's amazing, you know, and at those times, when there's a war, you want somebody who's willing to stand with you side by side to see the kingdom continually advance, not, not um, stepping back and saying, oh, you by yourself, good luck, or just saying, okay, I think we need to step back. No, you want somebody with you by your side, arm in arm. We're moving together. That's the goal. We're going to fight this battle. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God, and we're going to work together. And even my wife, last night, uh, of course, our little girl, she's been sleeping fine. Last night decides I'm not sleeping at all. The whole night. Of course. Why? Because there's a war. Which means that when you're effectively living the kingdom of God or living to see the gospel advancement, you're a target for the devil. You're a target for the devil. And you shouldn't be surprised by that. You should know. And actually, if you're not, then there's probably something wrong. If everything's going swimmingly for you, I would maybe ask and check whether you're truly following Jesus. But when you're truly advancing, and I know this, I'm not saying that, Everything is a fight. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's good family times and joy and green pastures that Jesus leads us down. But when you're seeking to see the kingdom of God advance, don't be surprised when the enemy's got a target on your back. And when you do, make sure that you've got fellow soldiers next to you and that you yourself are a fellow soldier next to somebody else so that you can help them to fight the battle. I love those Roman, uh, or what is it? What's 300? Are they Roman? Greek. Greek. I mean, when you see those pictures where those guys get those, those um, shields together and they lock in together and they, and they almost have this war cry of singing together and they march forward united in, in Christ, united in Christ to see the kingdom of God advance, linking arms, um, encouraging one another. That's the picture of fellow soldiers. And we're all three of those things, family, co-worker, fellow soldiers, picture of the church, not a picture of a, a Christian, not one or the other, all three. Amen. Your messenger ministered to my need. I love that. I love how a, a very menial task was, was, was actually helping to, to see the gospel advance. As 
It's just Epaphroditus ministering to Paul's need. What is it that God's given you to do? You might be a mom. I heard this thing I thought it was beautiful. A mom who's washing dishes for your family at home. There was this mom who had a sign above the, the sink, and it said, divine appointments here three times a day. What does that mean? Everything that you do is sacred. Everything that you do is sacred. Your workplace is sacred. Your family is sacred. Your marriage is sacred. Your, your, your parenting is sacred. Your school and your work there is sacred. Everything that you do is sacred. And, and, and helping to see the kingdom of, of God advance when we have this heart in place. And, uh, well, the Paphroditus, and commentators differ here. So, but it says there that he longed for the church in Philippi, Epaphroditus, okay? Which is like a real emotional word, even to the point where he was distressed. And this word distress is only used twice in the scriptures. One is where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's literally bleeding blood from his, his, his head when he knows what he has to go through. And the other time is here, where, where Epaphroditus is so distressed because the church is distressed because they've heard about him being ill. So now he's worried about the church. And, and because he's worried about the church being worried about him, he gets distressed. You get the picture? So he, he really longs for them. And to the point where it seems like he's really getting homesick. Homesick. And, and whether this is a weakness or not, I'm not sure. Some may say but he's got a pastoral heart and he wants to go home. But I ask, when I read the text, because Paul says later on that I too may be saved from anxiety, it seems like this is causing more difficulty than blessing, this distressness that Epaphroditus is carrying. So Paul says, I'm going to send him home. Two things that I, I love about this is he's, Paul honors him beautifully, even in his weakness. He, notice, he notes his strengths before he does his weakness. He says, my, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, my, the messenger that you've sent, this incredible guy who's laid down his life and actually to the point of death has given himself, also has weaknesses as do you and as do I. But he doesn't, he doesn't major on the weakness. It's amazing how so often we can easily point out the weakness in somebody else. But Paul very graciously honors him beautifully, beautifully, but is not afraid to show his weakness in terms of him wanting to go home. And what I love about this is, you know, you remember the story of Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember that story? Some even say that Paul has grown in grace here for, for others. Because with Paul and Barnabas, what happened? Barnabas wanted to go home. He, he jumped ship early. Sorry, John Mark, not Barnabas. John Mark, thank you. Um, John Mark jumped ship early. So they were on their first missionary journey, and John Mark got to a point, he's like, this is hectic because of all the things that Paul goes through. He's a bit of like a, a bold character. And he lands up going home. And, and Paul and Barnabas land up getting into a sharp dispute over John Mark. And, and they land up separating ways, but there is reconciliation later in the end. But this is later down the journey now, and it seems as though Paul, some would say, has grown in grace for others' weaknesses. Because here, he doesn't, he doesn't um, get upset with, um, um, with Epaphroditus. He doesn't say, you weakling, why are you going home? Why are you so worried? Why are you, why are you so caring about this other church? No, he honors him beautifully. Paul himself grows in grace for others' weaknesses. And, and I think Paul himself growing in the likeness of Christ and encourages us to do the same. Friendship flourishes at the fountain of forgiveness. I just love that. 
Like, like there was a sense of, of there's a forgiveness, there's a, there's, a, there's a grace to us and walking together. What I love about Paul is that he still encourages the church to honor him when he gets back. Why? Because the church may have seen, well, you were supposed to go there to serve t- um, Paul. Now you're a little bit coming back a bit early. And, uh, and what does Paul say? Receive him with honor. Because he gave his life almost to the point of death. And isn't that beautiful? Sometimes somebody goes out, they actually really take a risk for God. They, they, they sell everything. I mean, that's what it says about Epaphroditus. He risked all. He literally bargained. It's a gambling word. He gave everything in this 800-mile journey to go and serve Paul and his needs in a menial task. He gets distressed. He has a moment of homesickness. He goes home. He literally gives his life almost to the point of death to see the kingdom of God advance. He comes home, and some can quite easily just say, oh, why did you come home early? Man, this oak's given everything. And we can sometimes be like that. Somebody fails on their mission, and they come home, and they're like, hmm, didn't quite make it, did you? No. Paul says, honor him. He's given his life. He's, he's offered all, and even in his weakness, honor him in the highest regard, and receive him back really well. I understand that there are differing um, um, opinions around that, but I, I've loved that, actually, that even in weakness, which, which you and I can relate to, in our, our journeying with the kingdom of God, even in our, our, our desire to, to see the kingdom of God, we have moments of weakness. But Paul doesn't dishonor him. He gives him the highest honor. And he says, now continue the journey wherever you find yourself. So to wrap up, what can you and I learn from this? I have a video. I'm not sure if it's going to play. Matt, do you think the, the sound will work? Pete? Should we give it a bash? It's a four-minute video that I think will wrap up this for us nicely. Throughout life, we all wait for someone or something. Sometimes it's rather quick, sometimes it's uh, not quite so quick. So. Tom Meeks is waiting all right, Paul. for an update on the condition of his new heart. And I'm just excited to feel it beat again. Casey Heisler waits to hear the rhythm of that heart again. It was a Sunday. The phone call came at 4 a.m. Do you have the right guy? Like, are you sure it's Matt? Her brother Matt was a student at the University of North Dakota. In March, a house fire ended his life. Matt was 21. He was very tender from a little boy. He was always just, he had a huge heart. Good to see you. Nice to see you, Doc. And Tom, he now lives with that same heart. You look awesome. I'm telling you, I feel awesome. When you get your license, you check that box. And you think it's just a small thing? At 16, Matt signed up to be an organ donor. There was no alternative for me except a transplant. Because of Tom's age and other health concerns, five different hospitals refused to consider him for a heart transplant. But the Mayo Clinic gave Tom a lifeline, putting him on a waiting list for a new heart. I am tickled that I'm doing as well as I am. That's Tom. Two days after he received that lifeline, Thanks to Matt. Proud of Matt. Really proud of Matt. The heart that I grew up with and like felt in all of my hugs when I hugged him, that it's still out there somewhere. The day is finally here. Long awaited, by the way. Long awaited. Pretty excited about this. Obviously, in my case, they're always going to carry a very, very warm spot in my heart. Eight months after Matt died, 
Matthew's dad, Jared, his mom, Cheryl, and younger sister, Casey, embrace the heart they love. Oh, wow. Hi. You must be Casey. <laughs> Cheryl. <laughs> the waiting is finally over. One more, Jared. Hey, oh, man. Oh. I woke up this morning and told uh, so nice to meet you. Matt that <laughs> Mom and Dad's coming today. This is his graduation picture. Both families shared memories. Is this you? And created new ones. Add friend. Because of Matt. Oh, what a good picture. Tom gets more time with his wife, Anne, and their four grandchildren. Would you like to listen to your brother's heart? And the Heislers get to hear from Matt. Again, a sister who only wanted to feel her brother's heart now gets to hear it. We're all going to listen. <laughs> do I do it this way? Matt didn't just donate his heart. His generosity helped 60 people. A 46-year-old woman received one of Matt's kidneys. The other went to a 56-year-old woman. The life of a 61-year-old man was saved by Matt's gift of a liver. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, believe me, it's my pleasure. Last one, Tom. All right. Comfort found in a moment, well worth the wait story of a man who dies in the fire and his heart is given to another man. And why I end with this is, I said at the beginning, it's impossible to truly carry the heart of Christ unless you have the heart of Christ. And Jesus says, come to me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. That's what he says. And the Father is wanting Christ's heart in us. That's what he's wanting. He's wanting to give us a new heart. He wants to take out a heart of stone, and he wants to put his son's heart in with a heart of flesh. And, and Christ's humility leads to our salvation. And our salvation leads to Christ's humility. There's no ways to live a humble, sacrificial, self-serving, I mean, not self-serving, others-serving life apart from the heart of Christ being in us. And the Father desires to hear Christ's heart inside of us as we live together, united together, loving one another, caring for one another, looking after one another. And that's where Paul's admonition um, comes in so beautifully because Christ-likeness is possible. It is possible. And that's what I, I wanted to try and show today is that, that it's possible for us to have a, a, a genuine humility when Christ is in us and we can genuinely love each other. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in his spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Amen.